is the Jifla and Blue Gal Podcast. This is the podcast for February 5th, 2010. Uh, we have an email address. Yes, we do. We need to mention that. Um, it is DG for Drift Glass, BG for Blue Gal Podcast, dgbgpodcast at gmail.com. We love getting your letters and uh, emails, and we will use them on the air. Everything that goes to that email box is fodder for us, so be be warned. Hello, Blue Gal. Hello. How, how's the weather in Chicago? The weather in Chicago is political. Oh, well, this is our local show. I think people are going to think, though, that this is going to be your demo tape for Chicago Hello. Radio. Yeah. You ready to send in a demo tape to Progressive Chicago Radio? Well, let me try it out. In a world uh, where politics dominates the local cultural scene, you need Blue Gal and Drift Glass to guide you through the rocky shoals of political insiderism. Oh, that is... Chicago politics. Oh, that doesn't make any sense at all, but it's, <laughs> it sounded really good. It's not, you sound awesome, sound, yes. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Blue Gal. <laughs> How about I do the whole show like no, this? It'll, it'll sound urgent and <laughs> ominous. We selected uh, governor and lieutenant governor in Illinois this week, <laughs> candidates, Democratic candidates. There's a little bit of a problem there with a man named Scott Lee Cohen who was uh, nominated by the Democratic Party, by Democratic voters, as the lieutenant governor candidate. Yes, indeed. And uh, he has a little uh, problem with um, women and violence, I guess is <laughs> a nice way to put it. Yeah, that's a really uh, nice way to put it. Who um, was a, an alleged prostitute, but he alleged claims prostitute, was a massage therapist, right? Yeah. And, and when asked on television last night where he met her, he said, you know, at the massage therapy place. Couldn't quite think of the location, the name, or the address, but he knew it was one of those massage therapy places. It, and he went there for therapy? Uh, apparently. Okay. Because, well, he's a pawnbroker, and apparently the life of a pawnbroker is... Requires is a lot of massaging. Yes. You know, when you string together knife, girlfriend, massage, prostitute, broker, prostitute and a pawnbroker... You're sort of screaming for special attention by yeah. the media. Yeah, you are. And Scott Lee Cohen, who has this history, allegedly, of violence against women. Not he's, he's, he's worthy of your trust as long as you have a restraining order out on him. Yeah. He's not as awful as you might think. You know, that's, just, that's about as far as you could go with that. Wow. And, and, but again, he, is, he, won the, he won the primary. He did. Well, and how did he win the primary? He papered being, the radio. He used the he, radio. Absolutely, he did. By, by doing, by having three things going for him. The first was the fact that the primary is in February, mm-hmm. so we had a th- we had an embarrassingly low turnout rate in Illinois, thirty percent, which is just unforgivably a low. joke. Yeah. Um, secondly, he had um, no media scrutiny. Mm-hmm. He, to his credit, he did tell um, the you know the one or two lone reporters who were covering him when he announced that he was running for this office that he had had problems with the police. That there was this incident in his past that it had been, you know, that, that she never showed up in court. 
you know, in, in the in the nicest possible way. He did. You mean the massage the therapist never? Massage. She she would not. She didn't show up for the hearing after he was arrested for knife for not exactly. cutting her throat. For not cutting her throat. The okay. police said she had marks on her throat, and the police said there were a lot of very ugly things in the police report. Mm-hmm. But she never showed up for the for the hearing, so the so the charges were dismissed. This was in two thousand and five, I believe. Okay. So he did, to his credit, let the. Re- one or two reporters who were bothering to pay attention to him know that yeah, I had this happened, um, I w- and you know I wasn't to blame. It was, it was, this was all a misunderstanding. She was nuts, but he did let them know. And the third thing was he ran really smart commercials. Yes, he's, he did. He's a he's a pawnbroker and got rich being a pawnbroker, and used his personal fortune to run really very smart commercials about getting people jobs. Uh, commercials that appealed to white, middle-class, frightened people. Um, and you heard him everywhere. He blasted the radio with, you know, Scott Lee Cohen put on a job fair. Yeah, he put on I, lots of job fairs all over the state. He did. He did. Uh, which were publicized. And, it, and, then, and then he went on, off and publicized them some more. <laughs> you know, that, And I did all this during a recession because I care about the people. And he got those people who those sound a lot like folks, their neighbors. Those absolutely. They uh-huh. sounded like middle-class white people saying, I never thought I would lose my job, and I was laid off, and Scott Lee Cohen had a job fair, and I got a job with a major cable TV company. And we all know who that is. Yes, but of course. So he, yeah. But he got a job at the cable company. Okay, but Absolutely. he got a job. He got a job. In Here's the, a politician in, who actually does something about the economic situation that we all find ourselves in, and it's so awful. And this is, this is basic old-school It is. It's politics. ward boss politics. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. It's finding your people a job, getting, making sure they have, you know, a ham on Christmas and a turkey at Thanksgiving. And he did that too, didn't he? Yes, he, he did. He handed he out turkeys, turkeys. Yeah. on the south side of Chicago. He, mm-hmm. he handed out turkeys to poor people. And then come election time, you go to their homes, you go to the old folks' home, you go to Skid Row, and you pull people out of wherever they're at, and you put them on a bus, and you drive them to the polls and say, remember all the good stuff I did for you? Mm-hmm. Here's what you need to do for me. And it, so it's really basic politics, politics 101. And he played the politics 101 game very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And nobody in the press gave him a, uh, any chance of winning anything. They thought he was you know, a joke. He'd roll in you know, at single digits, and, and then he took off. And by the time, and I cannot stress this enough, by the time the press got around to doing its job, yep which is vetting people for the second highest office in the state of Illinois, mm-hmm. he'd already won. Yep. And now everybody's shocked and outraged. Oh, my goodness. What, how the hell Violence against women. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's horrible. It's, it's, it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. And there are two things that, that could have happened to, to prevent this. One is, yes, the media could have done their job and said, by the way, this guy is a, an accused sex offender, essentially. Uh-huh. Both in terms of his divorce and in terms of another altercation, alleged Alleg- altercation with alleged, a yeah. alleged prostitute. And the second thing that was not done was the two candidates for the Democratic nomination for governor, Pat Quinn and who's the other guy? Dan Hines. Dan Hines. Were so busy fighting each other and thinking that this Scott Cohen wasn't even going to win. They they could have done a joint press conference and said, we, by the way, we think this Scott Cohen guy is not a, a good representation of the Democratic Party in Illinois. Yeah. And neither one of us want to run with him. Yeah. And that would have gotten news. That would have gotten the Absolutely. media's attention. Yeah. And, if they and had joined forces to say, look, we... And now, 
you know, Pat Quinn is saying, oh, I really don't want to run with this guy. Well, it's too late. So, well, and, and this is not like this has never happened before. In Illinois politics, we had several years ago a couple of, you know, LaRouches. Really? Got on the, yeah, got on the ballot. This is before won, my time. Won the primary. And, you know, because nobody was paying any attention mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a third alternative that, that if, you know, again, since we're talking about old school politics, mm-hmm. the third alternative is once <clears throat> he's in the, in the race and if it looks at all, you know, once it looks like he's on anybody's radar, uh-huh. you know, you do what old man Daly used to do. Old man Daly used to, he, well, old man Daly determined who was going to be on the ballot and who wasn't. Let's face it. Absolutely. And you, you so if, if there's a guy who's going to get mud on you, mm-hmm. you know, who's going to make you look bad, mm-hmm. even potentially, because your people would know that. Your people and they would, would have, come in and say, uh, Mayor, we got a problem. Uh, there's yeah, a problem. Yeah. There's a little problem here. Yeah. And you'd have one of your people go put your arm around them and say, how would you like to be the Deputy Commissioner of Streets and Sanitation? Oh, how yeah. Like, we got a place you, for you. And they have plenty of jobs in the city of Chicago. Sure. Can I get one of those jobs? Yeah, well, because you, you aren't, first of all, you haven't sufficiently embarrassed the right people. Oh. And secondly, you got to get a chip in the game. Yeah, you which have I don't to have. be a player. You yeah. got, you know, as as I've said before on many occasions, there are two rules in Illinois politics. Rule one: there's a club. There's a club. <laughs> I remember Rule number two: you're not, you're not in it. I remember this. Um, and the way you get into the club is is by mobilizing money or people. Mm-hmm. It's all about loyalty and favors and who owes you what and who's got what on who. Um, or you get it by activism. You get it by mobilizing enough votes or enough money to push your way into the system mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he had enough money to buy himself into that game so you know that's that's how politics is played you know if you aren't rising up and demanding a better form of politics and journalism on mass fuck you yeah you know i'm tired of <laughs> of you know finding out that i was cannon fodder well on topic drift glass yes. there is an article in the uh January 25th, New Yorker, about Obama and the press. And I highly recommend it. It's, it's long. It's long journalism. It's, it's a research article. Can you believe oh, it? Oh, no. Uh, somebody has the money to pay Ken Oletta to write an article about, the Obama, about the media, you know, to turn a camera on itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a, it's a tragic article because it's about how things have changed for the worst in terms of, of media. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to read. A lot of it is devoted to uh, Chuck Todd, you know, who's I, 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 I can't even I can't even say it on the air. Chuck Todd. This is a quote from Chuck Todd. We're all wire service reporters now. Everybody's on BlackBerry. Everybody's uh, looking for the next tweet, the next um, blog post. That's that's one paragraph because that's all anyone has time for. Uh, we have to file it now, get it on the web, get it on the radio, and it's no longer even, a, you know, it used to be a 24-hour news cycle. Now it's 24 hours times seven different levels of having to have the news, quote-unquote, out there. Uh-huh. And so instead of actually interviewing somebody and trying to find out what the background of these things is, they're reporting by BlackBerry. They're sending a question to an administration source, <laughs> getting a tweet, a BlackBerry message back, and pu- and then finding some crazy GOP guy in the you know John uh-huh. Boehner or somebody and saying, look, I need a quote from you on this. Oh, he's wrong, and then they yep. just put up he said she said, and that's, that's the, the news story. Well, the, the the story will also be you know padded out 
um, with polls. With I'm a guessing. poll. With a poll. Yeah. yeah. Polls say this. And, and then and, and then what do you think, America? Yeah. You know, yeah. dial in and vote. Dial yeah. in and vote with your with your cell phone. Yeah. 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 Tell us how you feel. Yeah. And that's it. And that's and, news. Well, and at some point, and I've I've reached that point. I look across professions. I look across the companies I've worked for. I, I know a little bit about the workings of government. Mm-hmm. I look at media. I look at academia. I see the same business model over and over and over again, which is the Walmart model. Yep. A very, very, very few people at the top making enormous amounts of profit. People at the at the tops of universities doing extraordinarily well, and no middle class. Yeah. Everyone else is a greeter. Everyone else is an itinerant professor who goes from you know one gig to another, barely making minimum wage. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. do the math, mm-hmm. and this is something that mm-hmm. Susie Bright said on her yeah. she's wonderful so awesome. site. I she love is, Susie. She's so awesome. Oh, she's so awesome. But she pointed out that you know a friend of hers who teaches school, and I can absolutely back this up with my own experience. If you do the math, the prep work, all the amount of uh, effort involved to teach a class, you're working for minimum wage. Yeah. And I know people who work for the government who the amount of hours they put in during the day, they work for minimum wage. Mm -hmm. And people who work for industry who work for minimum wage. Mm -hmm. And it it really is a two-tier system. Mm -hmm. And it's a two-tier system that serves the interests of the people at the very top. Mm -hmm. And it, it involves at some point the people at the bottom refusing to participate. Yep. Um, not becoming teabaggers, not going galt, not succumbing to the you know the seduction of the Randite approach, mm-hmm. but simply saying I'm not going to buy your fucking newspaper anymore until you put a good writer on staff. Right. I'm not right. going to watch your crappy reality television show mm-hmm. un- until you put on a decent, well thought out, well written drama mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. some decent news. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn my television off. I'm not going to pay attention to you anymore mm-hmm. until you give me, as a consumer, as a citizen, mm-hmm. I demand that you give me something better than the crap you've been doling out. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If you have to tax the fuckers at the top at 70%, do it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And that's where I think a lot of the rage comes from mm-hmm. that I completely understand um, among some of the tea partiers. Mm-hmm. It's just – it's just it's it's been so – you know, it was co-opted from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was we're going to gin up your legitimate anger that your country – there's something fundamentally broken about your country, but we're going to direct it against the wrong targets. Right, right. We're going to make you attack the people who are trying to help you. Yep. And continue to be cannon fodder for people who have screwed you for 30 years. Yeah, and and it, that's the big tragedy right now is that the populist anger is being yeah. manipulated by the right. Yeah. Populist anger now brought to you by Exxon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. I love I love the bill that someone introduced uh, in the House um, this week, where they're now going to require. Uh, any advertising paid for by a corporation, the CEO has to be on the air saying, yeah. I'm, I'm the CEO and I approve this message. That's, yeah. a really, that's not going to happen, but it's a very cute idea. It really is. It is. It is. Um, the, one other part of this article I wanted to talk about, because it was the one part where I really disagreed with, with uh, Ken Aletta in The New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Um, he It says, uh, and I'm trying to, the historian Michael... Betchloss. 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 Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, after John F. Kennedy spoke to the nation about the Cuban Missile Crisis in October 1962, the networks immediately went back to their normal programming. Today, he says, pundits comment immediately on presidential speeches. Cable news dissects the speech for hours. A president doesn't have the unchallenged voice he once had. The transformation <laughs> of media 
has not only undermined the imperial institutions of the mainstream media, it has undermined the imperial presidency. And I so completely disagree with that statement. I don't think it's undermined the imperial presidency at all. Absolutely not. In fact, fact, I think the lesson of Massachusetts that the Obama administration has now figured out is that the way this works, the way we're going to be able to succeed is we have a sun king here, and he's got to be out there every day. He can't be sitting in the Oval Office. Uh, negotiating with senators because if if he's not on the screen every single day and he you get the sense that they didn't want to do it that way that they wanted it to be different they wanted right. it to be that Rahm Emanuel had the idea of okay we're going to start off with not with what we want but what do we have to give away in order to get anything but that was well, the perspective. I, th- I think there was one other thing and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt a okay. small benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. in that I think that they wanted to make the federal government work the way the federal government was designed to work. The constitutional was, scholar looked yes. at that as the blueprint and said, "This is how the House yes. is supposed to is supposed yes. to generate yes. legislation. They're so, yes. it's supposed to start with them." Yes. Yes. The the, yeah. the idea that I am the king, yeah. and I'm I'm going to tell you what I want, and I'm going to order, and I'm going to push you around and bully you and beat you until you do yeah. what and the Constitution says your job is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I want to make you do your job. Right. And the House and the Senate uh, have for so long been completely you know, cut loose from their constitutional moorings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they don't know how to do that anymore. And they had to vote on a presidential program that was generated from the executive branch, which is not how the Constitution says things should go. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. But that's, so so that's, they, were, they were being intellectual and purist about the Constitution, which him being a constitutional scholar makes sense. Mm-hmm. But now they've discovered that doesn't really work. No. <laughs> and what so happens what do we do then now? is, yeah. well, that means that the House and the Senate drive the entire debate. And right. it's easy for it to be co-opted. And it becomes about killing, health care becomes about killing grandma rather than about cutting costs. Right. And you can't do it that way. So you've got to have the... Popular, good-looking, <laughs> uh, articulate, Sun King president, and and there's a a lot of progressives that have a real problem with that. You know this this um, imperial presidency. I'm one of them. I have a problem yeah. with the oh. Patriot Act. I have a problem with the president having so much executive power and being the center of everything. That's not how democracy is supposed to work. But in terms of the media coverage and in terms of driving the debate, it seems like that's the only option. Do you feel that well, way? I, absolutely. And I, I think that that one of the things that this administration, that Democrats um, keep missing is that their opponents are all about destroying the federal government. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you have finally you know, shed your conscience and become a Republican, and you, you embrace the idea that the best possible thing you could do for this country is to smash the government to the point where it can't do anything. Um, there's a quote from uh, – I'm sure I'm going to misquote it, but there's a quote from Dune from, from uh, attributed to Maudib, Paul Maudib, but it's, it's the book of Dune. And he says the power to destroy a thing is the absolute control over it. You, if you, you do realize that all of our listeners are now taking a drink, right? Yes, well, of course. Science <laughs> when, fiction when, quote. When Drift Class pulls out a science fiction quote. 
whip it out, baby. <laughs> whip it out. Get that flask out. Get that flask out and take a drink. Because <laughs> there'll always be a little. It'll always, there'll be fiction. one. Just one for the ladies, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's it's it is the idea that if you are willing to destroy something. And, and you don't care about the consequences. You have absolute control over it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a hostage situation. Yeah. The, the Republicans have a gun to the head of the federal government says, I'll kill it if you don't give me what I want. Well, what do you want? I want to kill it. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a real problem. Mm-hmm. And, and the, and the failure, this is the epic failure of the Democratic Party and of the media, which is to treat them like that, to, to treat the Republican Party as if they were holding the country hostage and that that was a bad thing as opposed to, well, you know, some people say and polls say and and, you know, the people some people may disagree. No, it is objectively a bad thing to have an entire political party devoted to the destruction of the federal government. That's a bad thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, especially, and again, in, that's, especially in segments of the federal government where the people actually feel that government is working. Yes. Social and, Security and Medicare. Exactly. And yet what happens when with those kind of governmental operations is the Republican Party uh, tries to mesmerize the people into believing that those are not government programs. Uh-huh. And it works. I'm astonished at the number of Republicans, uh, Republicans on the ground who think, you know, the the government needs to keep their hands off my Medicare. Well, yeah. Well, and there's a, and this is this is the second half of the drinking game, mm-hmm. um, because there's a, a lovely quote from <clears throat> um, Leo, the the chief of staff in the West Wing, mm-hmm. who said, I think I got this right. He he said, you forgot what your your grandfather taught you. I think that's right. Never argue with drunks or crazy people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, this president thought he could debate with yeah. crazy people. Yeah. Yeah. And and. Everyone in the GOP, everyone currently in the Republican Party depends entirely on the goodwill of crazy people mm-hmm. to keep their job. Mm-hmm. And there's absolutely no percentage in them in acting rational or fair or yep. bipartisan in any true adult sense because they will get killed in the primaries and they'll, they'll lose their job. So they have to, to, to protect their jobs, they have to pander to crazy people. Yep. And, and, that's be, and, and this president and this White House – completely misread that. Yep. The Democratic Party is being handed a real opportunity by the Republican Party this year, though. It is. It, it is. It, Rachel Maddow had a wonderful piece on last night about uh, the Republican Party is now talking once again about privatizing parts of Social Security sure. and voting against taxing AIG bonuses and voting against uh, fining banks that haven't repaid their TARP money yet. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden... You realize the party of no is saying no to things that they actually agreed that are part of their platform, and they're voting against things that are in their own platform. Yeah, and And well, they have and they have all year, and they have have been fighting against all year bills that they themselves have authored, or they have you know the 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 joke about uh, the you you come to a Republican and you ask them you know. What would you like added to this bill? Well, I'd like, you know, tort reform. Okay, if I add tort reform to it, will you vote for it? No. 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 Well, and, then why and would I do that? <laughs> Stephen Colbert actually handcuffed himself to his desk this week <laughs> while he listened to the segments of the president's State of the Union address, saying, I will not agree with this president. I will not agree with this president. And then they show like five clips of Barack Obama saying, I'm going to cut taxes. I'm going to cut taxes. I'm going to. And he's got his hand. Oh no! I really. Oh. 
<laughs> and that's another drink, by the yeah. way. When Stephen you quote Colbert. Stephen Colbert, you got to take a when drink. When you quote Stephen so. Colbert, when we quote Stephen Colbert, you have to take a drink. No matter what uh-huh. time you're listening to this. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, well, this has been great. It has been great. Yeah. I, I, I Is there anything else we need to talk about today? <clears throat> oh, there are hundreds of things we need to talk well, about. Well, you're going to fix all this in the mix, right, Blue I am. Gal? Good. I am. Good. So, and that's next. So. All right. Shall we? Shall we now have a cheerful sign-off? Sure. It's snowing here. What's uh, it doing in Chicago right now? Can you see it's out cold, and we haven't seen the sun for years. Uh, it's gray. It's, it's cold. We're going to get about an inch of snow. Um, yeah, we're going to have three by tomorrow. They say. Yeah. And Lost is back on. Which Lost is back on. Good. You, you're a Lost fan. I'm not a Lost fan. Yeah. Was it? Was it good? Was it full of awesome? It, it was it was uh, really interesting. I will. Interesting. I, it, was, it was interesting. <laughs> I, I I have given up trying to pretend that the writers are doing anything but screwing with me. Okay. Uh, but they're doing they're screwing with me in a very um, um, masterful way. Okay. This is one of the few shows that I know that dares to be epic, in the old fashioned sense of the word, that dares to really just throw everything in. And try like hell to be something spectacular, hmm. and it's failing on okay. a, on a lot of levels. Um, the, sometimes it overacts. Sometimes it's just silly. Um, the writers went way off the mark. They they sort of dawdled around with goofy subplots and made crap up and just mm-hmm. used the same little boy fell out of bed and it was all a dream, unsatisfactory trapdoor goofing with me mm-hmm. um, over and over again. Having said all that. I, I am always delighted when a writer tries to do something great. Mm-hmm. Fail or not, if they try really hard to do something memorable and and amazing, I give them full credit for that because so few people even try to do that anymore. How do you compare this to Twin Peaks? Um, I watched very little of Twin Peaks okay. um, precisely for the same reason. is It, it just lost me. Mm-hmm. At some point, I said, "Well, this this is just nuts." Um, there were a couple of shows like that. The X Files, I continued to watch, and uh, Millennium. I don't know if anybody out there remembers Millennium. Mm-hmm. It was a short-lived. It was the it was the X Files, only much darker. Okay. And it was one of those sort of everything's filmed in the shadows. Everything is a conspiracy. Everything is secret government plots to do this and that to you. And I give shows like that real credit for trying to do something amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at some point, they got so tripped up in their own weirdness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there was no story Bible. That's what I That's what I hear about Lost, but I haven't watched Lost, so I can't yeah. comment on it. But yeah. I do know I, I was a devoted fan of Twin Peaks, and um, at some point, you know, a show has to be about something. The directors and writers of Twin Peaks <laughs> forgot that and and got so caught up in their own, like you say, their own uh, BS that uh, they they completely abandoned what the show was about, which was who killed Laura Palmer. Right. And it's, they stopped you know, caring who killed Laura Palmer. And everyone asked, was, who was watching was like, no, you don't understand. The reason we started watching this is there's a murder at the beginning of this show. Mm-hmm. And then there's all kinds of really f- interesting, creepy junk going on. But in the, the end, end, it still has to come back to... Who killed. It's about who killed this girl. Yeah, and the writers. And the writers at we don't some care. Point, we don't care who killed well, her. We don't it stopped care. being about who killed Laura Palmer. It started being about an hour long. Right. <laughs> well, and, uh, an hour of of great scenery, great sure. art, great great mystery. You know, great well, vision. 
Let me give you the classic antithesis of that, mm-hmm. which is science fiction people out there get ready to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. It was started off slow and, and bad and ended um, way too abruptly because it got – I believe it got its, its funding cut. Mm-hmm. But it, there was a story arc. They uh, – uh, uh, Michael Straczynski and Harlan Ellison sat down. And this is – this is my understanding. I, I probably have some of the facts wrong, but I believe they sat down and plotted out this story will last five years. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what happens year one, year two, year three. We start here, we end here, and the story will follow this arc. And there's a lot of freedom of, you know, you can write special little uh, stories in a bottle that are not romance really... between two little yeah. minor characters, right? Side exactly. Things, yeah. Pure artistic expressions within the universe that don't advance mm-hmm. the plot necessarily, but are cool to watch. Mm-hmm. But there is an arc. <laughs> it has yeah. a beginning, a middle, and an end. And and every story has some element in it that drives the plot forward. And here are all the storylines. It's like a Russian novel. Mm-hmm. You know, you have all these storylines, all these lives, and they all converge to create a, a perfect ending to the story. And that was, but that was the intent from the beginning. When you watch something like Lost or something like Twin Peaks, it's very clear that nobody had any friggin' clue what they were going to do after the second year. Mm-hmm. So they just started throwing things around. Hey, you know what would be cool? Let's have time travel. Okay, let's do that. Yep. How about we have, you know, how about they have these overarching ghost inhabiting characters? Yeah. Evil ghost inhabiting characters in the story. Yeah. Yeah. And and we'll we'll sort of yeah. paper over that with ominous music and really good scenery mm-hmm. and smash cuts and yeah. really attractive people who who are able to play emotional scenes of falling in love and loss very well. But at some point you sort of shake that off and notice that nothing happened. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. nothing the plot was never moved forward, never moved forward. So again, I, I give the I give them credit for trying to be great. Mm-hmm. I think if if they pull it off, I will stand up and applaud. But I think that they are simply, you know, somebody told them this is your last year. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you got to sort of wind this puppy down and pack the things up and resolve what you well, can Well, and how do you do it except making it the autistic dream of somebody staring at a snow globe yeah. or, yeah. you know. I mean, I'm, well, I'm a big fan of House MD and I feel like <laughs> I feel like at some point House is going to wake up and have taken too many pills uh-huh. and, you know – Cuddy's new boyfriend and everything else is all just going to be a dream. You know? <laughs> he's going to find that out. He's, he's going to walk butler. out of the shower like Bobby Ewing and say yes. hi, <laughs> and he's married to Cuddy. You know, and that's the end of the whole show. Holy but, crap! I was I was the butler of yeah. of Wooster all this time. You yes, know, was... <laughs> yes. Here comes here comes Stephen Fry. Which sir. I must say <laughs> that would be I a must, great ending. <laughs> I must say the the, the greatest. Uh, I would argue the greatest ending of any television show ever mm-hmm. did in fact re- do that and redeem the entire show which had gotten really creepy and weird not creepy but really too strange to watch are you gonna too... say bob newhart i absolutely <laughs> say it was the most brilliant moment in, it in, was in, wonderful. in concluding in concluding television mm-hmm. i've ever seen mm-hmm. it was daring to make it the man this was all a dream Yep. And pulling out Suzanne Plushette out of Plichette, retirement, honey, <laughs> and sticking them in the same bed and saying, you know, I had this, these these woodsmen, <laughs> these woodsmen and this blonde woman, and she was and wearing wear, a lot of sweaters. And <laughs> yeah, you should you should wear more sweaters, oh, you know, something like that. That was brilliant. Yeah. And and if if Lost pulls that out of a hat, um, you can't have Bob Newhart. <laughs> oh, they they should. Well, <laughs> I did that with a with a YouTube video with um, Battlestar Galactica, the new Battlestar Galactica. It ends with Bob Newhart waking up. <laughs> yes, you did. I do remember that. I remember that. 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 <laughs> and that, it's, that, is, that is where you just 
can't do anything other than stand up and say bravo, bravo. that's great yeah. job that was friggin brilliant yeah. i will remember that the rest of my life yeah. yeah but absent that kind of you know genius at the uh at at the climax of the story mm-hmm. um if you start off you know you have to if you if you're filming something that is trying to make a point you really do have to have the outline of a novel back there somewhere. And you've got to have a mommy on the staff who's going to put her foot down and say, even yeah. if it's a guy, say, oh, no, <laughs> you've gotten your freak on, but, you know, this at the, at the end of this show, it has to be about it's more than an hour. It has to be about how this – and I have, you know, I've read the threads on Shakespeare's Sister and some other places, these lost threads and Twitter and mm-hmm. so forth. I get that it's about some island and we don't yes. know where it is or how it is, and it moves around, and their people don't come come in and out of time, and do all kinds. And so it's very, um, it's out of place and time. They've removed those two, they've they've made it so that those two elements of the story are not static. Place well, and time are not static. Gr- if Green Acres is to <laughs> is to Petticoat Junction. As you know, I get I get criticism on this podcast about my laugh, and then you say things like that. Okay. And well, I will I will again <laughs> take another drink. No. Uh, Green Acres is to Petticoat Junction what Lost is to Gilligan's Island. Okay, okay. So oh. it's it's biz- the bizarre surrealistic. And on that note, well, play us out, Internet Kitty. <laughs> play us out, Internet. <laughs> <laughs> This has been fun, Blue Gal. Let's do it again soon, Let's shall we? Let's do it we? again next week. It'll be in a, in a world. <laughs> in a world. In a world where media is crap. <laughs> Drift Glass and Blue Gal cut through the nonsense and bring you the truth. That's that's pretty much it. Wrapped in awesome. Oh, you know what we forgot to mention? Dipped in too? scotch. What? <laughs> we forgot to mention Dark Black. We did. I oh yeah. Make sure yeah. we mentioned Dark Black before. We, we, we must go. mention the Dark Black. Dark, dark Black is is an dark awesome is graphic God. artist. Dark Black is is uh look, if I were if I were if I were not straight, I would be having his babies. Oh, there you go. He's he's awesome. He's a great graphic artist. He's a great graphic artist. And he's a good he writer is. and he's a he he's a good blog citizen. I mean, he, he is. just is out there supporting everybody. So, with comments mm-hmm. and art and does the whole Zappadam thing. He's, he's just a great vlog uh, citizen. I love being a uh, part of his community. Mm-hmm. And he wrote at his blog this week, My pals Blue Gal and Drift Glass are creating a weekly podcast that has proven most entertaining and thought-provoking to date. So if you like hearing literate and intelligent people speaking on and about the issues and what Fox non-viewer doesn't, mm-hmm. by all means, stop by and lend your ears. Remember, every time you do, Roger Ailes develops urinary discomfort. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It burns. So, <clears throat> right it now, burns. out there, Roger Ailes is going. My pee pee burns. Ah, my pee pee, it burns. And I don't know why. <laughs> so keep, keep listening. Keep listening. We don't want to do listening. him permanent harm because we're 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 good Christian people. But yes. yeah, but I having, cannot end on that note. As having his pee pee burn is. <laughs> I can end on the pee pee burn, but I can't end on the we're good Christian people. We're good Christian people. <laughs> we don't want to hurt nobody. <laughs> But having Roger Ailes pee-pee, pee-pee feel burn like a, while we're speaking, that makes a pillar me feel good. Of, a pillar of fire, that would be fine with me. I would have no problem. We want problem. Roger Ailes to piss a pillar of fire. We, Is that how you're ending Yes. There's, there's your... In a world... In a world where Roger... Go ahead, you say it. In a world... In a world, in a world of injustice, 
Blue Gal and Drift Glass make Roger Ailes piss a pillar of fire every time you listen. Play us out, Internet Kitty. <laughs> Drift Glass and Blue Gal Podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Drift Glass and Blue Gal Podcast 2010.